Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to Bugle 4054, sub-episode 2017, the official Bugle review of the year 2017. I am Andy Zaltzman, hardened veteran of all 365 days of this renowned year, and once again... It has been a year containing more than one major news story, as is so often the case these days. Of course, the most significant factor in this year has been that it has once again taken place under the watchful eye of The Bugle, the universe's official audio newspaper of historical record. During our hiatus, the entire foundations of civilization basically crumbled. Sorry about that. But since our return... Late last year, ISIS have had a terrible time and stock markets have rocketed. I know it's probably nothing to do with us, but other people seem to be taking credit for shit like that, so why shouldn't we do the same? So, coming up month by month are the unarguable highlights of 2017, beginning, appropriately enough for fans of chronologically linear sequencing, with January. The concern does seem to be that anyone who opposes Brexit is sort of seen as a kind of traitor uh, and need, someone who needs to be expelled. Nigel Farage, who is a total... Uh, has, has, has waded in uh, again, uh, saying that he hopes Sir Ivan is the first of many to go. And the spirit of Brexit seems very much to be, we have got our freedom back, and if you don't agree, go f*** yourself. <laughs> that is the spirit of Brexit. Um, Farage uh, complained about who um, Sir Ivan Rogers was replaced with. He was replaced with uh, Sir Tim Barrow. And Farage put up a tweet saying, good to see that the government have replaced a knighted career diplomat with dot, 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 a knighted career diplomat. Well, fair point, Nigel, because, of course, the last thing you want in top-level diplomacy is a diplomat, especially (laughs) not a career diplomat with years and years of relevant experience. Because they're just going to come in, Nish, with their hackneyed old ways of doing diplomatic stuff, negotiating stuff by the book. And what we need in this country, we don't need that. We need an absolute novice who comes in unencumbered by the dead weights of experience and expertise, unconstrained by the constricting shackles of having even a vague f***ing clue what might be going on. What we need is a randomly chosen Brexit voter as our official Brexit Britannia representative <laughs> to sit in a paddling pool sit in a paddling pool in the middle of the negotiating room wearing a knotted handkerchief on the head saying do what I say or I'll splash you <laughs> what we need Nish as only Mr Farage has had the courage to point out is someone who believes in Brexit someone who will sit in the negotiations with their eyes squeezed tight shut and their fingers in their ears believing as hard as they possibly can <laughs> what we need is someone dressed as a bulldog to run around barking at the Germans and shitting on the carpet. That's what we need. We don't need a career diplomat. God save the Queen, God Andy. God save the Queen. I'm tearing up over here. <laughs> 2017 will be remembered as the day the factories closed. Rusted out factories and the drugs and the gangs. These are just righteous people. This is your celebration. Your voice, your hopes, and your dreams stops right here and stops right now. At the center of this movement, trillions and trillions of dollars. We will get our people radical Islamic terrorism for everyone to follow. 
we will rediscover there is no room for God. We've enriched foreign industry. It's going to be only America first. America first. Ladies and gentlemen, please remain standing while the president and official party depart the platform. You will be released by sections shortly. And now, February. Andy, the top story this week, like all top stories everywhere in any country of the world, including southern Suriname, is <laughs> Donald Trump. Um, I have a question, Andy. Okay. Just have a, so a judge in Seattle, uh, a Republican judge, uh, blocked a, a nation, had a nationwide block on the travel ban. And he said, you can't stop people just randomly from different countries coming in. Fair enough. And Trump called him a so-called judge. Yeah. And my question is, does this now revolutionize judgments everywhere in the world from the Greek system of justice? Like, for example, if a man in India has been tried for murder and is sentenced to death, could he just stand up and say, well, that's your judgment from a so-called judge (laughs) in this so-called court in your so-called justice system? Right. Um, See, I I see it a different way, actually. I see this as an example of Trump being uh, extremely respectful to both the American justice system and uh, Judge Robart uh, himself. He called him a so-called judge. Yeah, yeah. So, which is fair enough, because there is nothing about James Robart that intrinsically makes him a judge. <laughs> it's merely the fact that humans evolved language to communicate ideas and gradually form some concept of justice requiring people with expertise and authority to be given the jurisdiction to <laughs> apply the concept of justice and call it justice and themselves be called judges <laughs> and for James Robart to attain that elevated level that enables us to call him a judge. <laughs> so highlighting all the human evolution that has gone into him being appointed a judge and called a judge merely highlights what an amazing guy he must be. I mean, this is... Trump bowing the knee to the concept of justice. You know, I'm reminded of a story of a court in Uttar Pradesh in India where a judge felt so unsafe because the the area he was a judge of was filled with so many vandals and criminals that he sat on the judge's desk with a gun. <laughs> <laughs> and I felt that that's you're then one step away from then announcing the sentence and carrying it out yourself <laughs> by shooting the guy in the face. Right. I do hope Donald Trump does not listen to this episode. That, <laughs> yeah. that will give him ideas that will be very hard to stop. March. We need to prove one way or the other which gender is better and or worse by doing uh, working out based on the historical events of Men's Day and Women's Day which of those two days has done more damage to the planet? All right. I'm ready. Okay. 1495 was the birth date of the Portuguese saint John of God, the patron <laughs> saint of booksellers, the dying, mental health, hospitals and nurses. All good causes. Uh, he also died on Women's Day. No, well, that, that's because they thought saints were born and died on the same day. Oh, he didn't actually do it. It's a fake, was it? It was a tax thing. TTC. Right. Uh, and 1931, the birth of the South African cricketer Neil Adcock. Well, it's a terrific fast bowler. One of the most underrated fast bowlers in the... <laughs> Women's Day. <laughs> Women's Day. I mean, his his Day. mother was a woman, to be fair. But he was a terrific fast bowler. Shared a birthday with Gary Newman and Gaz Coombs of Supergrass. Also, on Women's Day, 
the Spanish Prime Minister, Eduardo Dato Iradia, was assassinated in 1921. Thank you, sisters. And in 1949, Mildred Gillars, also known as Axis Sally, was uh, condemned to prison for treason. She was an American broadcaster employed by the Third Reich, Helen, in Nazi Germany to proliferate propaganda during World War Two. Oh, if you're talking about Nazi Germany, Andy, on Men's Day in 1943, <laughs> the Nazis liquidated Janowska concentration camp, uh, murdering at least 6,000 Jews after a failed <laughs> uprising and mass escape attempt. Oh, thanks for raising the tone of this show. <laughs> Women's Day, 1963, the Ba'ath Party comes to power in Syria in a coup d'etat by a clique of quasi-leftist Syrian army officers, if I may quote the internet. I mean, that's going well, isn't it? But... Because of Women's Day, that happened. All, everything that's happening in Syria now is because of that in 1963 on Women's Day. But 1658 on Women's Day, the peace of Roskilde was declared between Sweden and Denmark. And look how those pals are still getting on. Oh, you have got a point on that one. But on Men's Day, perhaps probably the greatest, one of the high points of human culture and civilization, Pelé, the Brazilian football genius, scored his 1,000th goal. That's, he did not notice that he did not wait until the 8th of March to do that. He did it on the 19th of November because he's a man. <laughs> <laughs> but also on Men's Day in 1824, uh, a storm caused the St. Petersburg flood, which killed 10,000 people because of men. <laughs> because of men. Yeah, well, you say that. But then in 1985, on Men's Day, Reagan and Gorbachev met for the first time heralding the process that brought an end to the Cold War and the threat of nuclear annihilation, yeah, which people... women were doing absolutely nothing about. You can't do it if you're already trapped in a bunker <laughs> of society by men. <laughs> I mean, don't see any women in those pictures, do you? Helen, Just we're going to have a very awkward Christmas this year. Bloody sausage party. Uh, but also on Men's Day in 1994, um, in Britain, the first national lottery draw was held, spawning... Millions of really boring gambling habits. <laughs> in uh, 1618 on Women's Day, Johannes Kepler discovered the third law of planetary motion, which is the best one because of rule of three. As a comedian, you'll be familiar with that. Third time's the charm. <laughs> on, uh, on, uh, on Men's Day, um, the Slovenian philosopher Clement Jug was born and uh, he made everyone else's name seem boring. We're all suffering because of Clement Jug. <laughs> Well, uh, Chris, um, I, I think uh, you can adjudicate. You want this, me to adjudicate? Yeah, which uh, you know, which day has done more damage? Women's Day 1979, uh, the CD was demonstrated publicly for the first time. Given that I was also six months old, I probably also shat myself. <laughs> um. <laughs> With excitement about the CDs and also um, gender equality. I'm going to say that the winner is sort of early August. <laughs> You're a natural-born compromise. Yep, I'm not getting involved. That's what the world needs. It's April time. Election fever. They said she wouldn't do it. She said she wouldn't do it. No one was asking her to do it. She said she wouldn't do it again. There was absolutely no need to do it. She said she seriously wouldn't do it. Everyone had forgotten that she might do it. But she did it anyway. <laughs> Theresa May has called a snap election. I'm going to even make the news here in Australia. Yeah, I saw it on my uh, Facebook feed. 
Well, I mean, that shows what what big story this Mate, is. Exactly. <laughs> it's infiltrated my friendship circle. People are posting up things. I mean, I think in a post-Trump world, you need to up the stakes in politics to get your nose in the news. Like Going back on your word and doing something completely off the cuff and unthought through makes you relatable to the common man because people look at you and they go like, oh, yeah, I remember the time I did a U-turn against traffic on a freeway at midnight because I wanted a McDonald's. I want my politics to reflect that impulse. <laughs> oh, right. So it's Theresa May playing the... Yeah, it's, it's like all the politicians at the moment just sat down and watched an 80s movie marathon and then they just heard the phrase, it's mad, but it might just work <laughs> one too many times. And they're hoping the public will confuse the word sudden with the word decisive. <laughs> you know, like those people who say, I'm just honest when they mean I'm just a cockhead. <laughs> Come in with your semantics. <laughs> She called a snap election. She then explained why mm. in a speech outside uh, Number 10 Downing Street. I mean, it was like a six-minute speech. Quite impressive that she managed to get through those six minutes mm. without at what, any point saying the words, obviously this is just naked political opportunism. <laughs> and that was Im- impressive self-restraint in between the bits about no one being allowed to play political games anymore and doing what's best for Britain. <laughs> naked political the- opportunism is my favourite kind of naked. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you're sharing too much again, Alex. (laughs) My Uh, second favourite is naked in the kitchen. (laughs) The two often go hand in hand. (laughs) Um, If uh, George Osborne's uh, Instagram feed is anything... Uh, Look, I digress. Impressive display from the woman who's put the Chancellor into lives next door to the Chancellor. Um, (laughs) And Britain has come down with election fever. Yet again, classic symptoms of election fever. Uh, Shivering, hot sweats, headaches, general listlessness and uncontrollable vomiting. Um, Shivering very much at the icy blast of the arctically cynical pragmatism unleashed from the permafrosted political heart of Theresa May. Hot sweats as we flush red with the embarrassment of what the f*** is going on in our country. Headaches provoked by merely contemplating the prospect of two more months of political bitchcraft. <laughs> and general listlessness as we contemplate the options on the electoral menu thrown up by this kind of slow motion car crash collision of 21st century political expedience and an 18th century political system. And vomiting at the pure naked hypocrisy of our Prime Minister. Tough times to be a British democracy fan, Naz. Yeah, I mean, you're heading towards the path that Australia's taking. You just, you know, one Prime Minister in, another one out, you know. Yeah, we turn over Prime Ministers at quite a high rate, mainly yeah. so that they don't have a chance to do anything, because mm. things are okay here yeah. for <laughs> the mainstream. Because yeah. so, you have three-year terms, don't you? Yeah, three-year terms. We sort of, you know, that's a loose term. Yeah, yeah I mean, no one seems years, to make, make and... the full three years these days. Nah, I mean, it's not even an aspiration anymore. You just want to get in, and then once you're in, it's like, oh, I've made it. Had it's the like, portrait done. Yeah, got the get portrait. Out. Yeah, give someone else a go. Move over. Right. Don't don't hog the seat. So that's what we do. And I think it's good to see that the Brits are sort of taking that up as well. The way we do it is, as Australians, we don't like uh, tall poppies. We have this tall poppy syndrome and we don't like tall poppies. Mm. So the moment we elect someone into power, we're like, ooh, think you're better than us, yeah. do you? We're very OCD about the height of our poppies. We don't know. We don't care. I mean, is that Just a smart car? Are you trying to be smart? No. We're going to cut oh, you well, down. I want an actual measurement in centimetres. <laughs> But I think that's what's going on with the Brits. You know, they all they just want change. Why? I don't know. And she she sensed that. Brexit was probably that as well. Well, I think Brexit was that. It was basically what happened was that Britain was left alone in an empty room with nothing in the room but a single electrical socket. <laughs> Eventually, at some point, inevitably, we were going to put our penis in that socket. <laughs> Theresa May says we must come together. Is that how you got your hair like that? <laughs> 
That is my business, Alan. <laughs> Andy is the manifestation of Britain putting its penis in an electrical socket. Can I use that on my poster, please? <laughs> Next time I'm in Australia. <laughs> Reality star, as he would say. May. Yes, uh, in no low, too low news, Australian literary magazine editor Roger Franklin decided he was going to leverage the appalling tragedy into a petty political vendetta against Q&A, which is a Monday night light political debate program that airs on the ABC. So he wrote an opinion piece saying that had there been a shred of justice, the Manchester blast would have detonated in an Ultimo TV studio. Uh, because he wanted to punish the ABC for refusing to acknowledge the true causes of terrorism. And uh, I don't know, I contend that had there been a shred of justice, Franklin would have been sideswiped by a terrible case of colon evacuation and the time he spent in the toilet pooping out his dreams would have been just long enough to make him think twice. You know, maybe he'd think between spurts of hot rectal regret. Oh, you know what's not actually cool? Trivialising the murder of children by co-opting the weight of their senseless deaths to add force to a metaphor in a minor literary spat. And then he would have wiped his bottom and not suggested that lefties and moderate Muslims being on television should have been the rightful target of an incredibly wrongful attack. I don't know. Uh, you can be reliably relied upon to uh, bring some spectacular bodily analogies to... <laughs> Basically, your, it's generally your, pretty much your first full sentence on each bugle you've been on has uh, rocketed right into the top five of... Uh, most uh, well, crudest things ever said on this show. Well, I'm sorry, I'm thought as, as very well spoken in Australia. Oh, no, absolutely. <laughs> the two are not mutually exclusive, <laughs> unquestionably. <laughs> June. It was a very odd election in that the Conservatives uh, got basically exactly the same vote share and number of votes as Tony Blair in his biggest triumph in 1997. They got the mm. same 42.5% of the vote as Thatcher in 1983 when she waltzed home with a 144-seat majority. More than Thatcher mm. in 1987 when she got a 100-seat majority. They were resurgent in Scotland where they've basically been spent the last 20 years checking into a mortuary and whacking tags on their own toes. And yet the result is a total f***ing catastrophe for the Conservatives and the Prime Minister clinging to office by some extremely ill-kept fingernails. Context is all... It, it was amazing to me how quickly the Tory party turned on Theresa, which... Firstly, suggests what a noxious uh, culture there is within the party, but secondly, suggests that she has both been shaped by that culture, having been in it for such a long time, and has shaped it, having been in it for such a long time. Yeah, it feels like that happens a lot in the Republican Party in the States, that people will put someone up on a pedestal and be like, he's the next, uh, you know, he's the next saviour, and then he does one thing, and they're like, we never liked him. <laughs> um, I liked uh, very much... Uh, Anna Subri's victory speech seems wrong. It had the tone of a concession speech, even though she won. But it, was, it went on for many minutes, and it was like a one-woman performance of Abigail's party. <laughs> and middle of the night, she looked kind of haunted, and she basically just kept saying, well, Theresa May is a shit pile. She's a shit pile. I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> she's got to go because she's f***ing shit. And uh, I thought you're supposed to be on the same team. Thank you for interpreting those words for us. You are, of course, an etymological master. I, I just call it like a seat. <laughs> well, if you are enjoying this compilation of buglings, don't forget my live review of the year show, Andy Zaltzman's 2017 The Certifiable History, continues at Soho Theatre from the 2nd to the 6th and the 9th to the 12th of January, co-starring Bugle Australian lapsed Buddhist of the Year, Alice Fraser. The run has been specially extended to the 12th due to fate, destiny and the heartfelt desire to give you buglers as much chance as possible to see it. 
and a gap appearing in Soho's schedule that needed emergency short-term notice filling up by a show that is by no means selling out. Shut up, Andy. Remember, 2018 is the year of Zoltz marketing. Odd thing for the United Nations to choose, but there you go. Anyway, do come along. It's a fun show to do, and I hope a fun show to watch. Do come in as large numbers as you can possibly manage. Thank you. Thereafter, my UK and Ireland Satirist for Hire tour begins in Southport on the 13th of January, then Salford on the 14th. There's a Bugle live show at Leicester Square Theatre on the 18th of January, also featuring Alice. Then Satirist for Hire ploughs onwards the remaining January dates. Birmingham the 19th, Bromsgrove on the 20th, Oxford the 23rd, Aldershot the 24th, Nottingham 25th, Milton Keynes 26th, then Aberdeen on the 29th, Edinburgh the 30th and Glasgow the 31st. Uh, Then on into February and loads more gigs, including my first Ireland gigs for 15 years in Galway, Dublin and Belfast, the 10th, 11th and 12th of February. Sorry, Kalani, but if you think I'm coming back to you after what happened in that so-called comedy club gig in a hotel nightclub in 2002, you are very, very, very much mistaken. Full details of all the tour gigs, which run up to uh, early March, at andysaltzman.co.uk and do send your requests for topics to satirise this at satiristforhire.com. Back to the Bugle Review of the Year now and the famous Celebrity Month, July. Younger than me, and um, I was a mistake. She, uh, <laughs> she, it's fine. she let history be the judge of that. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> I mean, at present, we can be the judge and, of that. And you, you, you owe me, Helen. You owe me because I remember when we went to a brass band concert in the Tunbridge Wells Assembly Room when you were aged naught, and yeah. you did a shit so big <laughs> that they basically had to stop the concert so it could be cleared up. Really? And the reason you owe me is because I've never, ever told anyone about that in public. <laughs> so. do, you, do you feel better now that you've got it out of your system as evidently I did then? <laughs> that was one of the most spectacular three-dimensional heckles in showbiz history. Also... Also joining us, someone from... Happy to be here. An entirely, an entirely different family. It's the former four-weight world boxing champion, widely regarded as the best pound-for-pound fighter of the mid-1990s from Norfolk, Virginia... Oh, no, sorry, that's the... Sorry, that's the introduction I'd written in case Pernell's sweet P. Whitaker turned up. <laughs> anyway, he's not here, is so, Anyway, someday. Uh, instead, joining us for neither the first time nor the last, it's this week's convincing winner of the most bearded bugle co-host of the week. It's Nish Kumar! <laughs> Hello, Zoltzmen. Hello, Buglers. Here we are, back, Andy, performing inside an upturned purple cow. Oh, no, they've, in, ta- they've you, taken the cow off. They, they oh, is this not a cow? No, they slaughtered it. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good for me, because every time I used to do a gig in here, it was, a real, it was really pissing on my Hindu upbringing. <laughs> <laughs> is, is it kosher? It doesn't matter to Hindus, mate. Right. <laughs> You, you can't be like, well, I can't eat beef. Well, it's kosher. Yeah, that's not relevant to me in any way. Double, double uh, negative. N- nice to see you guys. <laughs> you are one of the worst Jews of all time. <laughs> <laughs> Another classic Kenny Rogers song. <laughs> <laughs> August. 
Top story, world on the brink of nuclear war. On a positive note, this might solve the climate change crisis. Yay! (laughs) Every mushroom cloud has a silver lining. (laughs) Um... So this is so uh, there might be a war. It looks right. like between North Korea and the U.S. I'm jumping the gun a little bit, but it feels like that's where this might be going. My interpretation of what's happening right now with uh, Trump challenging North Korea uh, is uh, basically the last president of the United States was black, right? So now we all have to die. <laughs> <laughs> And I think that's the policy decision that has been made right. at this point. Okay. Uh, I, I hadn't spotted that that logic before, but that doesn't make sense now that, yeah. that you that you mention it. I mean, I, I was, uh, like I said, I've been away for a few weeks, and um, I, I missed the escalation of this this crisis, which seemed to happen largely while Donald Trump was playing golf. Um, I, I guess you have to ask, how likely is war? And I guess the answer is, well... How long is a piece of string? And the answer to that is that depends whether that piece of string has got two fucking lunatics pulling as hard as possible at either end, shouting "Wrap your tape measures around this, you fucking losers." Correct. If, if That's I'd, correct. If I had to put my money on it, though, I would guess that there probably will not be a massive global Armageddon-level apocalypse-grade conflict arising from this. Because for every one person who wants it to kick off and make things go boom, there are approximately 3.75 billion who are probably not not as keen. Basically, Harry, this seems to boil down not so much to, you know, a classic build-up of, of, of geopolitical tension that many wars originate from. This is basically just a dick-swinging contest. And, I mean, that's that's fine to an extent, but the problem is when dicks get swung, there is always a danger that porcelain ornaments will be knocked off relatively low mantelpieces. Uh, that is the concern for me as a member of, of the human race, particularly when one of those doing the swinging is Kim Jong-un, a one-man <laughs> zone who rules North Korea with a rod of stupid, stupid iron. Surely even he... Can't be that keen on unleashing the full might of everyone else's military on his shitty little country. I mean, what would that do to the living standards of ordinary North Koreans? I mean, they'd probably go very slightly up, which is not what he wants. I think that when you're a maniac, uh, after you you lose any kind of contest or when, when you want to, to, to show the other person off, you, you burn the village after, don't you? So... He, they would, they are planning to burn down the global village. That'll show them. <laughs> right. Also, quick, quick commentary on, on on your commentary. Did you just said if you were to put money on this? Yeah. That seems like a safe bet because if you are wrong, you do not need to uh, to pay up. I guess so. That is the ultimate no lose bet, isn't it? <laughs> Um, yeah, that's a, that's a very safe bet. And also, with regards to your dick swinging, the one thing you left out is it's possible that one of those parties is able to fit a nuclear warhead on the tip of their penis. 
which would change the dynamic considerably. <laughs> September. Uh, in sexual harassment news, uh, the recent allegations about Harvey Weinstein have been exploding out into the world, a new world for women in which we've suddenly realised that people are going to listen when you tell them about that sleazy dude who did that sleazy thing. Uh, new stories have been emerging left, right and centre, including one about Carrie Fisher, who apparently sent a cow's tongue to a sleazy producer in Hollywood. She personally delivered it in a Tiffany's box after hearing that he forced himself onto a friend. I think that is absolutely the appropriate gift for a sleazy dude, being a slimy, rough and a toxic mixture of testosterone and socialisation, leading to an arrogant entitlement to the bodies of women. No, wait, that's men again. Cows are a gentle creature whose only sin is being delicious and farting a lot. (laughs) That's two sins there, Alice. Well, it depends. It depends if you consider being delicious a sin. Oh, uh, well. Women in Hollywood and around the world are using the hashtag MeToo to share their experiences of sexual harassment. In France, women are using hashtag Balance Ton Porc, uh, which roughly translates to rat out your pig. Uh, this hashtag <laughs> went viral this week and encourages women to speak up in the wake of the Harvey Weinstein scandal. Uh, the French government has uh, capitalised on this recently, proposing a bill that seeks to crack down on sexual harassment, which would include, according to Gender Equality Minister Ms Schiappa, on-the-spot fines for, <laughs> quote, when someone breaks into your vital space, talks to you within 10 or 20 centimetres of your face, follows you for three, four, four, five or six streets, or asks for your telephone number about 17 times. <laughs> <laughs> It's very specific, and I think it's like something that happened to her. It's got the specificity (laughs) of this dude this morning. Uh, I think on-the-spot fines for sleazy douchebags on public transport are an amazing idea. France is going to be the richest government in the world in about five minutes. (laughs) If I had a dollar for every time some dude said something disgusting to me about my body and his jizz, I would be richer than Harvey Weinstein. (laughs) Also, if on-the-spot fines for sexual harassment were given directly to the women being harassed, you would fix the pay gap within a month. It's interesting that she went for uh, following you for three, four, five, or six streets. I mean, that's got a specific range, that, isn't it? I mean, because you think, I mean, one or two might be coincidence. Seven, I don't know, is that is that because that's now showing a, a level of romantic commitment that needs to be acknowledged? Or I think at seven or, you're married. That's how it works. I mean, you'd have thought three or four would start to get to the, uh, you're obviously not going to get the telephone number phase of the conversation. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know. Women aren't very good at maths, so this uh, is the world um, we live in now. I can make that joke and you can't laugh at that joke. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, this, uh, I mean, it is, uh, it's been a hugely... Uh, depressing story and uh, I guess a, an encouraging response to it. It's a story that made Hollywood manage to make itself look even less ethical than it already did, which is in its own way quite an impressive feat of uh, of moral gymnastics. Uh, it's kind of bizarre, shameful, patriarchal omerta that does slightly make you think, Alice, that perhaps men ought now to be taking a break from their current two-million-year stint as the de facto gender in charge of planet Earth. Um, I think we've had maybe a fair crack of the whip and just a little mental refresh, reassess our priorities and goals as a gender, chill out and then come back refreshed for another two million years. Just have a little bit of a sit and think about what you've done, you know? Just just sit back, have a cup of tea, feel regret and shame, uh, come back into society better men. And on behalf of all women, I forgive you. <laughs> we fixed it. November. Robert Mugabe is completely f***ed.
fact, and he is, yeah, he's under house arrest. Although, when they say, I keep reading reports that say he's confined to his house by the military, and you're like, he's 93 years old. You don't need the military to do that. You just need a particularly steep set of stairs. <laughs> There's been some dispute over whether or not it is technically a coup or not. Uh, the African Union president says it seems like a coup. The military are denying that it's a coup, and they did so in a broadcast from the state television station that they had taken over. <laughs> you have to admire the barefaced, cooey balls of that. I guess as the old saying goes, if it looks like a duck, walks like a duck, and quacks like a duck, it's probably an ally of Robert Mugabe in a duck outfit disguise, trying to sneak his way to safety past a load of soldiers in a f***ing tank. So, um... <laughs> It's not a military takeover of government, says the military, having taken over. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it doesn't look great. Uh, the root of the conflict uh, in this occasion is that uh, a couple of, uh, last week, Mugabe sacked Emerson Mugangwa, his former deputy, who it was assumed would take power. And it was widely assumed that this was a way of clearing a path for his 52-year-old wife, Grace, to assume power, uh, who is quite a divisive figure. A lot of people feel that her lavish spending at a time when many Zimbabweans experienced horrendous economic conditions was at best distasteful. And there are others who are fine with it, presumably because she is paying them to say they're fine with it <laughs> as part of her incredibly lavish lifestyle. <laughs> And they met in the 1990s. This is an alarming detail that I did not know. They met in the 1990s while Mugabe was married to his wife Sally as she suffered from terminal cancer. And just when you think it can't get any worse, it gets worse. Which, in many ways, is the epithet of Robert Mugabe's time in charge of Zimbabwe. Also terminal cancer. Yeah. <laughs> Zing. <laughs> he, this is a direct quote from Mugabe, right? On, on his courtship of Grace whilst he was married to his wife, Sally, who, let's remember, was dying. It was necessary for me to look for someone. And even as Sally was still going through her last few days, although it might have appeared to some as cruel, I decided to make love to Grace. Now, just when you think, again, all right, immediately we know Mugabe is a fully class act, right? <laughs> But this is what he says of Grace. She happened to be one of the nearest. <laughs> and she was a divorcee herself, and so it was. Oh, boy, that is like listening to a Barry White record. <laughs> that is so romantic, you just want to f***. At the first dance of my wedding, I don't want love is all around or every breath you take. I want to hear a recording of this on a loop for three minutes. <laughs> So was he the first man to swipe right in the sense that he swiped his wife <laughs> off her deathbed? <laughs> and finally, December. I, I'm so confused by this. I had to, uh, I had to get my uh, Scottish boyfriend to explain it to me, yeah. which I sometimes do. So that thinks it might be a regular feature now that I, uh, I have my Scottish boyfriend explain things to me. So Scottish boyfriend explains it. Do you want to know how he explained it? Yeah. I had to ask him to explain to me how the situation came about in the first place. And what he said was, uh, after World War II, everybody felt bad for like the Jewish people on that. So let's get in some of the Holy Land. Uh, Arabs, Arab states said, nah man, give me a bit of Germany because they were the ones who were out of order during the war. And then everyone else said, nah pal, Jerusalem. And gradually, Israel have 
just taking the piss, isn't it? So in 1967, <laughs> and they then annexed a bit. Uh, so Israel stole it, and now Trump has basically gone, well, you stole it ages ago, so it's yours now. A bit like finders keepers, except stealers keepers. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's slightly alarming uh, that your Scottish boyfriend appears to have a slightly more nuanced appreciation of the delicate uh, <laughs> situation than the leader of the free world. I think it's a genius move by Trump. What he's gone in is he's gone in and he's just been an utter, utter fool. And I'm hoping, I think he's hoping to unite them against him. I think he's being a real hero here, putting himself out there and hoping that they can at least all agree on the common ground that he is a f***head. <laughs> Bringing the world together. Well, as I said, you know, it's, it's, it's our land. As one of God's chosen people, promised to us by God, or was it, was it Arthur Balfour? Uh, was he the son of... Was Balfour the son? I forget. Were they related? I can't remember. Anyway, but uh, I mean, just through history over you know, hundreds, thousands of years, uh, Jerusalem has, well, it's kind of changed hands more often than the flesh regenerating kleptomaniac Saudi Arabian android. <laughs> <laughs> Is that going to be on the next season of Doctor Who? Because I need to see that. Um, uh, Balfour, uh, very much the King Solomon of his day, wisely <laughs> cutting the metaphorical baby of Jerusalem uh, in half, although he slipped when he saw a puffin and cut the baby into rather two rather uneven halves. Um, but, you know, it's been right since the very creation of Earth in 4004 BC, Jerusalem's been a... You know, it's a been battleground. A, yes. I, I don't know. My theory is that there are assholes on each end of this very complex, faceted asshole uh, machine, and they're just <laughs> spraying each other. And then everyone with the, in the radius of the shit spray gets covered in shit, and then they get angry and drop their pants. And then there's a veritable unidirectional <laughs> Travy fountain of rage poop. It stinks. <laughs> it stinks, Andy. Uh, but also Lashana Hava Baby Yerushalayim. Right? I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, <laughs> Next absolutely. year in Jerusalem, Andy, as a half Jew and a lapsed Jew, let's do it. <laughs> Well, Buglers, there you go. The entire 12 months bagged, tagged and ready for the historical incinerator in one easy package. On a personal note, I would like to thank all my Bugle co-hosts this year who have made the show such a total delight for me to do. I would like to thank you, the Buglers, for continuing to listen to, correspond with and support the show. I do hope you've enjoyed the rebooted Bugle as much as I have. If you do want to contribute uh, financially to the show, that option is still available via the website uh, every little bit helps to keep the show alive and thriving. There will be more live bugles, hopefully on an expanded range of continents in 2018. I would like to thank our many and varied sponsors and our hosts, Radiotopia. It's been a pleasure to be binetworked with such an esteemed medley cornucopia glomeranthology selection of podcasts. Etymologise your way out of that one, Helen Zaltzman. And above all, I would like to thank on behalf of myself and all buglers and indeed humanity... Producer Chris, the technical, logistical and organisational Noah's Ark to the Bugle's squawking menagerie of bullshit. We will be back in 2018, or next week, whichever happens sooner. Uh, from 2017, this is Andy Zaltzman. Happy Old Year, Buglers, and here's to a less cranky New Year. Bye-bye! Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss Lime Bikes, Teslas, the London Overground 
and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you 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 must be so excited. Listen now.